Bart, would you please come up? So this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Bart Moseman this morning. Uh, I feel like today is kind of the, the Moseman day because Drew's running the live stream, Carrie and, and Eli helped prepare communion for us this morning. Um, your family is such a blessing to us, so thank you for modeling to us your servant hearts. Um, and thank you for opening the word for us this morning. Can I pray for us real quick? Holy Spirit, uh, we welcome you into our midst this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you would anoint Bart's words this morning that we might hear from you. Um, open our hearts, Lord Jesus. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you. Please be seated. If you're out there saying, have I seen that guy before? Were you at the Easter Vigil? because the last time you saw me and my son, we were trying to destroy the cross. <laughs> but everything is okay now. So if, that, if you're a wonder trying to place me, maybe that helps to put the face with the name. It's good to be with you this morning. As we begin this morning, I want to put an image in your mind. Perhaps it's an image that you have seen firsthand. Perhaps you haven't, and so you have to use your imagination a little bit. But the image is of a one-year-old, so a very specific age. This is a, a one-year-old, not a newborn, not a full toddler yet, but a one-year-old on his or her first birthday. Specifically at his or her birthday party in a high chair, maybe with a hat on if this one would tolerate it, certainly with a bib on. And this one is now one and has not had any processed sugars for the first year of his or her life. Is this still a thing? Uh, okay. So to celebrate this one's first birthday, we put in front of this one a cake, an entire cake. Maybe not huge, but right there it is on the high chair tray, right? And so this one goes in with the hands and goes up to the mouth. And then this is the image. If I've lost you already, come back in. This is the image I want you to have, okay? So the, the cake goes to the mouth and there's this disgust. And then there's this confusion, and then there's this intrigue, and then there's this delight. Have you seen this before? And then there's handfuls going back into the mouth, right? So this is an image of recalibrating to a wonderful new reality, right? What is this thing that you have kept from me? Sugar. Well, let's get more of this into our lives. But that's what the Easter season, these glorious seven weeks following Lent, invites us to each year, recalibrating to this wonderful new reality because that's what the resurrection of Jesus delightfully necessitates, that we would recalibrate regularly all the time to this wonderful new reality that Jesus is alive. Because it's like this, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, if that's true, that changes everything. And indeed, it is true, and it does change everything. And we need this recalibration regularly because, well, frankly, we live in a world without sugar, metaphorically speaking, right? There's something missing in the world. Something's not right. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. I'm not right. I don't live up to my own standards, let alone the standards of a holy God. And I'm, I'm confronted all around with false hopes, things that I think will deliver me, that I tend to give myself to, that only end up failing me. And death hangs over it all, and, and hope is not a taste that we're familiar with in the world. And this is what we have in common with the original audience of the book of Revelation. 
We could get into specifics. I'll let Rick do that as he continues to preach on these. But they're struggling. They are struggling with the same things. Sin and temptation within and stresses and persecutions and false gods without that they are tempted to give themselves to. And this book was written to encourage and enable them to persevere through come what may by centering the resurrected Christ. By keeping before our eyes in all of these crazy visions, the resurrected Christ, the wonder of the new reality that Jesus is alive and he's well and he's risen from the dead and he has ascended and he's reigning from on high to bring about the purposes of God. And Revelation over and over and over puts that reality in all these crazy pictures before our eyes, including here in Revelation chapter 5, a fantastic dramatic scene as was read to us. So let's dig into chapter 5 a little bit and see what's here and then think about some of the things that will happen hopefully to us as we would center this risen Christ. So chapter 4, which we didn't read, sets the stage. Uh, John sees a throne room in heaven, a majestic ruler on the throne, and around that throne amazing creatures worshiping the one who is on the throne. That's what we didn't read. That sets the stage for what we got in chapter 5. In chapter 5 now, excuse me, takes us on a little journey, a little advancing of the plot. And I hope as it was read, you felt, you felt the tension of the story. Uh, there's a scroll in the right hand of this one who is on the throne. So it's in his right hand, that's the hand of power and authority. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals. Seven is the biblical number of perfection. This, this scroll is perfectly sealed with the perfect authority of the one whose scroll it is. And what a scroll represents is the will. It's a law, it's an edict, it's the intention, it's the purposes of the ruler. And it is sealed with his seal to represent his authority. And then it is given to an emissary to go and, and administer that will, that reality out into his kingdom, right? So that's what we have here. It's a, it's a scroll in the right hand. It's the will, the plan, the purpose of the one on the throne. And then in that scene, there's an angel calling out. And I love, whenever angels call out, we need to take, uh, take notice and pay attention. There's an angel calling out, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And the idea is that someone needs to act on behalf of this enthroned one to reveal and accomplish his will and purpose. We need this to be opened. We need this to come true. Who will build this king's kingdom? Who will establish his reign? Who will implement his laws? And the answer is crickets. Silence. We don't like silence. And so John, what does he do? He starts weeping. Like, come on, come on. There's got to be somebody. We need, we need this to happen. So he's weeping. He's waiting. Please, somebody be able to open the scroll. And then mercifully, in verse 5, that silence is broken. And an elder says to John, weep no more. Those are sweet words. Sort of like in the garden. Why are you crying? Well, I'm in, I'm in a tomb, for, by a tomb, for goodness sakes. Yeah, but the person you think is dead is not dead. Weep no more, John. Weep no more. I love that. Something has changed. There's a new reality. There is one who has conquered and so is worthy. And then we're ready for this great image, a conquering king or, or maybe a lion, because that's what he's called by the elder. Let's see this one. And then he comes into focus. And it's not exactly what we're expecting. It's a lamb, this is passive, stupid even, 
the, the symbol of, you know, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's a lamb, and isn't it interesting how it's described, standing as though it had been slain. This is such a powerful thing for us. This is, this is Easter tide language right here, right? Bearing the marks of the sacrifice that was offered, but standing. This is when we ring the bells, right? This is the Alleluia. Bearing the marks of being sacrificed, but no longer dead, standing alive and well. Alleluia. With seven horns. What does that mean? Again, seven perfect horns, power, authority. And seven eyes. Okay, we're getting weird. <laughs> Again, this is revelation for us. You got you to look at these things and see the implications of this. Seven eyes. What is that? Perfect wisdom. It's the spirit, God's spirit, the perfect spirit of God sent out into the world and, and able to know and see all things. Right? This is what this one, this worthy one has. Comes into view, takes the scroll, and the place goes crazy. Right? Worthy is the lamb, worthy is the one on the throne. This is it. This is so fantastic. And, and then John, in his vision, he just makes us soak in that for a little bit. We get several refrains to just make us say, worthy is the one, look at this, delight in this, exalt blessing and honor and glory forever to these ones here. Look at this scene, take it in, soak in it, make it your own. I think we understand this is, this is Jesus presented to us in the work that he has done, the resurrected one who was slain in our place. And the fact that he was slain, says it three times, not two, three times in the text. The fact that he was slain and is no longer slain changes everything. It means God's purposes can and will be revealed and come to fruition by and through Jesus. And that is the wonderful reality to which we must calibrate our lives. And the logic of the book of Revelation with all its crazy visions like this one is this. In the midst of your trials and your tribulations, in order to persevere, get and keep him having been slain but alive and well before your eyes. Get and keep him before your eyes. Get him at the center of your gaze, of your hearts, in order to inform our actions in our lives. Now, let me give you just a sort of interesting example of this I came across recently. This idea of the resurrected Jesus and forming life was articulated recently by Stephen Colbert, of all people, the host of The Late Show. Some of you may have seen this on his show, Dua Lipa, who I'm not super familiar with, but she is a pop star, I guess, uh, from across the pond based on her accent. And um, she's doing a podcast where he's asking her about her interview skills. And he was like, do you like to be on the interviewee or interviewer side? And anyway, he flipped the tables. He said, well, what, is there something you like to ask me? And to her credit, she thought, and she came up with this great question to him about how does your faith relate to your comedy? Great question. And uh, I don't think that he was prepared for this, but his answer was amazing. He said, he said that because of his faith, he believes that love and sacrifice are always connected. Brilliant thing to say. That's beautiful. Love and sacrifice are always connected. That just, that just undermines so many of our cultural ideas of what love is, right? Love and sacrifice are always connected. And he said, and that death is not defeat. Right? He articulated the hope of the resurrection there on late night television. Death is not defeat. His life is calibrated according to the resurrection, is what he's saying. And he said that informs his involvement in comedy in that, and this is a quote, 
Sadness is a little bit of a death. And there's so many things to be sad about in life. Sadness is a little bit of a death. But it's not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Really interesting to think about. And then he concluded with this. So if there's some relation between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. That's the hope of the resurrection. So you must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. That's beautiful. That's what, that's what we need to be about, that we see life through the resurrection and it shapes everything that we are doing. The hope of the resurrection leads him to find humor in the midst of all the sadness as a testimony that the sadness doesn't have the last word. I love that. How, how can our lives, not as comedians, but whatever it is that we're doing, how can our lives be a testimony that sadness doesn't have the last word as we center this risen Jesus? Well, <clears throat> the work is to keep him centered. We see through the reality uh, to, to rightly see all else. So another image I want you to have is not just the kid who's uh, delighted with the taste and wants more of it, but also the kid who keeps grabbing the parent's face and turning. Have you had, have you had this happen? Do you ever seen this? You know, the kid in the, in the arms and the parents doing the talk and the kid reaches up and like pulls their face. Like, look at me, dad, right? So this is what the resurrection is do, it needs to do to us. We keep going and it's like, nope, look here. Center this, look at the resurrection. So just want us to sit, think the rest of our time together. What will happen as we center him as he is presented here in Revelation 5? We take some clues from the contact, content here. What will happen as we center him? You know, besides the big fruit to describe with Colbert about just our lives being impacted, being shaped by the resurrection. A couple of important things I think we'll find for ourselves as we think about this. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So as we understand, we've, we center this resurrected Jesus, and we think about what it is that he has done in his death and resurrection. There are two things that will be driven into our hearts. One is a place that we have a place, and that place is with God and his people. How? Because he died for us. There are lots of different words used, atonement, redemption. Here the word is ransomed. There was a price that was demanded for us to be freed from our captivity, and Jesus paid that price. And what that means is that you don't owe anything anymore. The price has been paid. Your sins have been paid for. You are forgiven, and you are accepted. He, it says he has ransomed uh, people for God. Right? You belong to God. You, the price is paid. You're in. You have a place with God and his people. Now, we're, we're struggling all the time to stay well in that place and live well in that place. But the beautiful thing is, it's not our performance. We can repent and say, I messed up again. Please forgive me. Because it's been paid. The ransom has been paid. So as you focus, as you keep this Jesus centered, remember, before he raised, he paid the price. You know, you, you're in. You've got a place here among God and his people. Second thing that you'll begin to believe and have impressed upon you is that you have a purpose. Not only do you have a place, you belong here, but you have work to do, good, significant, dignifying work to do because these people that he ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, he made them a kingdom and priests to our God that they will reign on the earth. That's what we're headed for is reigning with him over his new heavens and new earth beautifully. But now we're priests to our God. We're mediators of this new kingdom to the world. That means we represent 
to the world the reality that Jesus is alive, that his reign is a good one, that righteousness has a place and will be made in full, and that love comes with sacrifice, right? We get to embody that. That's our role. Wherever we go, to work, to school, in our home, in our neighborhood, at the target, we are priests to this risen king. We represent him in the world. What a great opportunity that is. What a great privilege that is. And it's not do it so that you're accepted. You're accepted. Show the beauty of what that means. You have a place and a purpose. I need that. I love that and I need that reminder. So you may be sitting here. There are two responses I think you might have. One of them is it's just you need to remember this. You've heard this before. This is not new to you, but you need the reminder. So take that reminder. And just remember, why wouldn't I center the one who has died for me and raised again? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I trust him? He's given me all things. And maybe, maybe this is new to you. Maybe you read this about ransom and thought, I don't have any idea what that means. Maybe you're here and, and just thinking, I, I don't know, there was Easter recently and I felt like maybe church was a good thing. I'm lost and struggling in this world. So maybe this is new to you, and I just encourage you, receive this. This is, this is good news, that you can have a place and a purpose because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. So receive it, and let us help you begin to figure out how to live that out. Uh, if that's new for you, I'd love to talk to you. Rick would love to talk to you uh, and help you think about the implications of that for your life. So that's two important things we'll find for ourselves, a place and a purpose as we center this Jesus. Now I want us to think about three things that we will decenter as we center the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things that we will decenter as we focus on and center the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them is self, because we are not worthy to open the scroll, to take the scroll and open its seals. We are not the ones who will bring about the purposes of God in the world. I know that I want the Lord Jesus in his power to come and to establish my kingdom, <laughs> to work out my will, Right, to make things go the way that I think that they should go. But that would be disastrous for me and, and for all of you, um, if that were the case. And so we, as we look and we say, there is no one worthy to open the scroll except this Jesus. He is the one who's going to bring about the good purposes of God, not me. And so I need to stop waking up every day and centering my wealth. Jesus, will you bless what I want to happen today? No, Jesus, will you use me to serve your purposes today? Will you make me someone who manifests love with sacrifice in the world today? Will you help me to not center myself, um, but to center your... We, uh, to paraphrase a famous quote, we need to ask him not what he can do for my kingdom, but rather ask how he wants me to serve his kingdom uh, each and every day. Now, there's a temptation in this to hear this sort of pressure. Um, one preacher that, and an author that I benefit a lot from, Zach Eswine, talks about how, you know, the language of the kingdom, the evangelical world is so often, you know, do great things for God now. You know, we live this, this burden that every day I need to wake up and, and I got to make something happen. Um, and, and, you know, most of the scriptures, there are moments, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea. One, one day he woke up and he was asked to part the Red Sea. That's the exception, you understand, right? Not the rule. Like there was one person that did that. Well, and then Joshua did the Canaan River, but, you know, or the, whatever. That's, that's all right. Um, the Jordan River going into Canaan. So, you know, a couple people got to part some water. Um, but uh, that's, that's the exception. That's not the rule. So Zach says the reality is we need to wake up every morning and think about doing small acts of love over time. That's what kingdom living looks like. Just 
small, mostly unseen acts of love over time. I'm, I'm decentered to make way for Jesus in his way, which is the way of love. What if, we, what if we did that? What would that change in your household? Kids, if you, there are a few kids in here, but not many. I'll talk to more of them next service, the older ones. But what if you decided and asked Jesus, what does it look like to love my siblings today rather than compete with them? How would that change your household? Spouses, especially those of you in a, a tough time, what would it look like if you woke up in the morning and said, how do I love my spouse today? How do I do small, most, maybe unseen, maybe he or she won't even see them and I'm not doing them to be able to demand payment back later, right? I'm just doing them because they're the right thing to do. At work, you know, that's such a, a, a competitive environment, people talking behind each other's back, who's getting the promotion, whatever. What if your resolve there, besides being faithful in your labors to your boss and the owners and whoever, but also, I'm gonna do small, mostly unseen acts of love to my coworkers today. Because, why? Because I am a priest of the kingdom of God, which the primary ethic is love. Not selfishness, not demand, but love. Could these small acts be evidences of resurrection realities in the world? That a new way and a better way is not only possible, but certain because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's one thing, our self will be centered. A second thing that will be uh, decentered, not centered, decentered, and, and uh, I come into this a little bit with trepidation, but the reality is um, your culture, your cultural expression will be decentered as you center Jesus in the image of him here. Why do I say that? Look, look again at verse 9. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This kingdom includes people from every age and from every ethnos, from every, with every language, it includes all of them, uh, not just people like me, and not just praise for Jesus from a culture like mine. And so as we focus on this Jesus and the work that he's done and the resurrection and the realities of that, we will decenter our cultural expectations and expressions. That means that as you imagine the fullness of the kingdom of God coming, as you imagine the perfect church community to be a part of, as you hope and dream for a faithful to God America or a faithful to God neighborhood or workplace, you don't see it primarily as is most comfortable and familiar to you. You see it as what is most honoring and glorifying to Jesus in whatever cultural trappings and language that comes from. I love Revelation 21, that picture there for a lot of reasons, that picture of the new heavens and new earth. But one thing applicable here is verse 26, Revelation 21, 26, that says very simply, talking about this future city of God, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, the ethnos, the ethnicities. They will bring into the kingdom of God the glory and the honor of the nations. And I love this for two things. One, very quickly, uh, this idea of continuity, that what we do now matters for eternity, that there's a, there's a contact point. It's not the same, but there are things that we do now in faithfulness to Jesus that carry over. I, I don't know exactly how to understand that, but I love it. And I think it's super important for us to understand that we're not just biding time, wasting time, you know, and everything's going to, it matters. 
those things that are the honor and glory of the nations, ours and all the other nations, will carry over. And that's beautiful. Um, so I love it for the continuity of it, but also the diversity that it expresses, right? The glory and honor of all the nations. There's not one right culture. There will be contributions to the new heavens and new earth from all over history and all over the globe, all to the glory of Jesus who redeems people from all those places. And it's beautiful to think about that. I got to worship in a church in Mexico City one time and my Spanish is a little, not very good. So I understood un poquito uh, of what was going on. But I was, I was swept up in worship because it was clear they were worshiping the same God and they had these beautiful songs and cultural expressions of ways that they're doing that. I've seen pictures of this church in Benin in Africa where the organization I work with has been and has work going on. And there, the pictures of this worship service with people dressed head to toe in these bright, beautiful colors. And as they're worshiping, they're in this orchestrated dance all over the worship place that they're in. And I think I would be so out of place and so bad at that, but I want to be a part of that. And I, would I hope I get to go to Benin and see it in this life, but I am pretty sure that that expression of worship is gonna be in the new heavens and the new earth because it is glorious and worship worshipful to Jesus. So here's, here's the point. As we center this resurrected Jesus who is bringing and will bring out the will and purpose of God, we get to delight in anything and everything that honors and serves Jesus and hold loosely the cultural trappings and decenter even the cultural trappings of church, even family, community, country, in which we personally currently try to love and serve him. We get to delight in all the things that glorify him and hold loosely our expressions of that and let go of the things in our culture and so on that don't worship and honor him. And that's really important for us to see. Jesus did not come to entrench and empower, from my perspective, a Western English democratic culture with his power. That's not what he came to do. He came to pull people from every tribe and language and nation into the centering of him and the delighted worship of him and expressing that in all of its possible cultural trappings. I hope that gives some fodder for a discussion. Um, I'm happy to talk about it with you. And I, I commend to you, this is a shameless plug, but I work for this organization called Langham Partnership. And what we are trying to do, one of the things we're trying to do is share with the Western church the voices of the rest of the church. And so we have a website called voices.langham.com where there are articles and stories written by majority world people so you can hear their perspective on things and how they're living out their uh, worship of Jesus, the resurrection reality in their culture and their uh, context. And we have a podcast that you can find on the website as well where Chris Wright, who's a uh, the John Stott replacement, if that makes sense, over in England. Um, he interviews these majority world leaders. Uh, he's a very good interviewer, and they just tell their stories. And it's wonderful to just you know, get out of my American Western uh, Christian context and see and hear how the global church is bringing honor to our resurrected Lord. So I commend that to you. Last thing, very quickly. The last thing that I think we will decenter as we center Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is triumphalism. Because the lamb was slain. It says that three times in this text. It's really important for us to understand that this resurrected glorified lamb was slain. The way to resurrection is through the cross. And that is our, that is our way as well. 
So by triumphalism, I mean this idea that everything should and will go perfectly, that there's this never-ending upward ascent of progress and ease, that if I'm doing things right as a Christian, things will go well all the time and I will flourish. And if bad things are happening to you, I should tell you that you need to fix what you're doing because clearly you're doing something bad. That's triumphalism and that needs to decenter. That is not true. That is uh, an idea of Christian living that is not what the Bible tells us to expect. Rather, it tells us to expect that resurrection is coming, but not yet. And so our labors in the Lord are not in vain because he is resurrected, but you will have trials and tribulations in this life. But take heart, Jesus says. Not they won't come, they're done. Take heart in the midst of them because I've overcome the world. I'll be honest, I don't love this. I don't love this. I wish triumphalism was true. But because I don't love it doesn't make it untrue. This is, this is the way of the kingdom. And this helps me a lot in this reality. If there is no resurrection, then for a good God to still allow suffering and hardship and pain and sadness for those he loves seems, at least to my sensibilities, unconscionable and indefensible. If there is no resurrection and God is still uh, allowing his people to suffer, then I, I don't know. I just don't know if that... But... Jesus is alive. There is a resurrection. And so I, I labor to believe the Apostle Paul that these light and momentary trials and afflictions that don't feel light and momentary when they're happening, but in comparison, he says, they're light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that is coming, right? I try to believe that. Push triumphalism to the side. Center the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. When I was, um, I don't know how old I was, in my 30s, I started having really, really bad neck and shoulder pain. And so I went to a chiropractor for the first time in my life. And your, your neck is supposed to be curved like a banana, like this. Mine was like, kind of like a uh, shallow C. Mine was an S. So it went like this on the x-rays. So that's why I was having neck and shoulder pains, you know. Um, but I don't know if you believe this or not, but... You can fix that without surgery. I didn't have to have surgery. So there was this crazy uh, thing I went through where there was this um, thing put around my neck and it was attached to a pulley with a weight on the end of it. Not a very heavy weight, just a gradual weight. And I would sit uh, in the chiropractor's office with my neck tipped back and this thing pulling. Um, and I, I, I would, uh, it was uncomfortable. I'll just say that. It was not, it was not um, like, terribly painful, like, but it was, I would sweat as this was happening for like, for, first of all, three minutes, then five minutes, 10 minutes, and so on and so forth. But gradually over a period of months, it worked. And that, that uh, bad curve in my neck got pulled back through so that my neck curve was fixed. And I give you that image not to gross you out. Um, too late, some of you are saying, but I give you that image as an image of this process of centering and decentering that the Lord is always doing with us as he puts his resurrection in front of us. It's a necessary, uncomfortable process that we would let go of the things that are so familiar and so comfortable and we're so used to, that we would let go of them and we would learn a new way of seeing in light of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a long, slow process that we get to do together. It's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. It's living in reality. So let's, let's center this resurrected Jesus together. Let me pray for us to that end. Our Father and our God, we praise you that you sent your son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, 
we are at awe of the wonder of who you are, that what you have done to ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, including us, and to entrust us to be priests of your kingdom. Um, help us in the hope of the resurrection to center you, uh, to center this truth, to shape our lives around it. Holy Spirit, give us the ability, the, the, the power, uh, the conviction, um, the wisdom to do just that and help us to help each other to that end, we pray for your glory and our good and in Jesus' name, amen.